again, thank you for being here. It's such a pleasure for me to see you guys and have an opportunity to share God's word with you. Today is going to be a little bit different. I know I always say that, but indeed it is, right? I mean, I don't think I've preached the same sermon twice, um, and um, I don't plan on doing that. <laughs> but today I want to I want to share, definitely have a message, but I want to share some stories. You know, growing up at the church where I grew up, um, one of the things that I most appreciated about our preacher was his stories. They were always God's stories, and so indeed the stories that I'm going to share with you, I believe, are God's stories. But to see what God was doing in his life, whether it was him growing up and being invited to church by a fellow second grader in what, when he lived in Riverside, whether it was when he heard about Pearl Harbor on a Sunday morning and then immediately was prompted to go and sign up and was part of the army and fought during World War II, whether he you know, came back and through the GI Bill, went to Biola for 10 years and studied under people like J. Vernon McGee and others, uh, how he got married at 40 with a 20-year-old. Oh, uh, just, uh, you know, how he came down with a brain tumor uh, when his children were really young and uh, God brought him out of that. And on and on. He was a man of stories. And I don't ever recall feeling like, oh, he's showing off. Or I, I just always was amazed at what God was doing in his life. And, and, and to be honest with you, a little jealous. I still get a little, you know, it's sanctified jealousy in case you guys didn't know that. But I, I get a little jealous when I hear preachers, pastors, or anybody uh, share their God stories. I don't know about you, but I want more God stories. I want my story to be a God story, period. And so when I hear what God is doing in people's lives, I'm, I'm, I'm always, always encouraged. And so I want to share a couple of stories with you that have to do with the, the message this morning. It has to do with uh, something that as, as a church, Crosspoint is embarking in, uh, in the very near future. And I say that because I want us to realize what God is doing, and I also want you to feel that when Crosspoint does something, it's us doing something. It's not them at the church. It's us if you are part of Crosspoint. And so I hope to be able to do that. We'll see how that goes. This morning's message is called, Called to Come and Go. We are called to come and then go. Uh, last week, if you remember, if you were here, if you saw the message, we talked about uh, making a commitment you know, an invitation to commit. And I want to uh, share with you, as many of you know, if you receive our emails, you would probably know that we had a couple of people get baptized this, this week, right? Last week when we made an invitation and asked if anybody uh, has not been baptized and you know that God is working in your life, we did have three people stand up and two of them got baptized this week. So I want to really quick just take... Uh, acknowledge that or them, and that would be our lovely couple over here to my right, Romero and his wife, Annie. They were baptized on Thursday, and I'm not sure if we're going to be able to uh, insert that video into the today's message, but it will be on our YouTube. Uh, so once you go home and you're like, man, that was a powerful message, you can go home and then watch it again, as I do. We need some more likes and views on the, I'm kidding, I don't do that, but I would, I would encourage you to, to view this message. It's usually up by tomorrow, um, and you'll be able to see uh, them being baptized. 
Annie, and Romero. What up? So what a blessing. Uh, and then they're actually going to be part of one of the stories that I'm going to share with you. So the that was last week. And I also talked about an invitation to commit, um, whether it was to surrender your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, or whether it was, you know, there's sin in my life and I need to deal with that. I need to step up and get right with God and repent and, and seek Him. And whether it was, if you recall, we talked about also if you've just been kind of, you know, taking it easy in your Christian life and maybe making excuses about stuff and why you don't get involved and why this and that, you know, it would be a great time to take us up as Crosspoint to commit to following the Lord and serving Him the way He is he, deserving of. So this week, called to come and go, uh, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Uh, but I have a uh, key verse that I want to share with you in John chapter 15, verse 8. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. And He says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'll read it again. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Meaning, if you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you will bear much fruit. And if you're like me, at least a little bit, you hear something like that, you may, might feel like a little guilty. Kind of like, oh, I don't know if, my life is quite bearing much fruit. There's a little fruit here and there, and, and every once in a while there's maybe you know, ups and downs. But I think that's why we're here, to come to church, to hear a message that would hopefully, sure, convict us if that's what needs to happen, and, and encourage us, and maybe even equip us. So the main point this morning is this, that as Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ, we glorify God when our lives bear much spiritual fruit. And indeed, every child of God, every person that professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we should be highly concerned, regardless of how long you've been in the faith or how old you are, how talented you think you are or aren't. We should be highly concerned with bearing much fruit because the Word says, Jesus said Himself, when we bear much fruit as Christians, we glorify our Father. And that should be our ultimate goal in our lives. So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and talk about being called to come and go. Um, obviously, um, I'll, I'll, I'll wait on that one, on that thought. So let me read to you Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and kind of keep in context the fact that Jesus Christ says, Come to me. And the invitation is always open. But once we come to him, then he tells us, now go. Continue to abide in me, but go. And look at what Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 says. It says, this is Paul speaking. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Amen to that, right? We're called to be free. We, we sang a couple of songs that had to do with that. We're called to be free. But then he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other, Paul says. So he says, you've been called 
to be free. And then he says, Paul, being a very wise individual, don't use that freedom to satisfy the flesh or to indulge in the flesh, but rather to serve one another humbly in love. So as Christians, we're called to freedom, but then when we get that freedom, we are to use that freedom not for ourselves, but to bless and to serve others in love. And the question then becomes, well, how am I serving others? And you might think, well, who is my neighbor? Ah, Jesus was asked that question, and that's when he gives the uh, parable of the good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Everyone's your neighbor. And we should be highly interested in living for each other, in serving one another in love. And beloved, when we do that as individuals and as a church, you better believe people are going to be attracted to Crosspoint. They're going to want to come to Crosspoint and find out what all these weird people are doing, and they're going to wait to see when the hypocrisy finishes, and then they see the real you, only to find this is the real us, because we're new people in Christ, and obedient ones at that. So let me pray to get us started. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this beautiful morning to gather to sing praises unto your name, for we consider you more than worthy. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. I pray for those who are joining us online. I ask for your blessing, for your protection, and that you would make us a blessing unto others. I pray for your guidance this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would uh, encourage us and equip us as we spend time in your word. I ask this in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, so let's get right to it, because then I'm not going to have time for my stories. And uh, so what we're going to do today, I have three points, and they all have to do with being called to come and go means, what does it mean to be called to come and go? Now, that means a lot of things, but I'm going to choose three things that I want to share with you today. So the first thing that being called to come and go means is that, number one, we should always be in a state of change. We should always be in a state of change. And to be honest with you, I really love that part about Christianity. I've never liked, even since I was a kid, I remember that, when people said or I felt or was tempted to use this excuse of, I've always been like that. That is such a sorry thing to say, and it shouldn't even be in a Christian's vocabulary. You know, a Christian's vocabulary should be, you know, for the longest time, I used to be like that. For the longest time, I didn't even realize, but I was like this. But I'm no longer, because as we sing and talk about, we've been set free. We've been made new creatures in Christ. Show that. Rejoice in that. So we should always be in a state of change. I'm excited about the fact that I don't have to be the way I am, that I can be a better husband. I'm excited about the fact that I could be a better dad, a better friend, a better pastor. I'm excited about that. Like, I don't know how much time the Lord will have me here on earth, but I'm a little weird like that. I'm thinking like, man, you know, my pastor lived to be 93 or so, and he was preaching till he was like 92 and a half, uh, right up until the end. And I think if the Lord was to allow me to live, I don't know, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 more years, I hope I'm not like this still. I hope I'm, I'm 
more godly and that people will be able to see Christ in me more and that I will be more patient and loving and kind and forgiving. I'm excited about that, about the fact that I don't have to stay like this. And if I'm following the Lord wholeheartedly, I'm not going to be like this next month, two years from now, 10 years from now, Lord willing. And what's really exciting is that when this life is over, I'm definitely not going to be like this. I'm going to have a perfect body. I don't even know what that looks like. Sin is going to be done away with. And I'm going to spend eternity in glory with my Lord. Isn't that awesome? We should always, as Christians, be in a state of change. And so if you look at your life and you're thinking like, man, it's been a rough last five years. I feel like I haven't grown any. I feel like I'm still doing the same thing, same thing. You know, people still push the same buttons and I act the same way. And let's, well, let's get to it. Let's find out what's going on. And, and uh, let's get on our knees and ask the Lord, Lord, if I'm following you, then I shouldn't remain in the same place. I shouldn't be in the same place. And, and we sh- I think that's what it, what it means to follow the Lord wholeheartedly with all of our heart to seek him. And he promises to reveal himself to us and to change us and to transform us into the likeness of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I find that super exciting. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What does that imply? Come to me. That means you can't come to him and stay in the same place. You got to move. You got to get up and go. He says, come to me. He doesn't say, stay right there. Here I come. He makes that invitation and says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You, you pay attention to that verse or those verses, and there's all kinds of change. Come to me. That means you got to get up and go. And then he says, um, take my yoke upon you. Well, there's another change, right? You didn't have his yoke before he took his yoke upon you. And then he says, learn from me. When you learn, you change. To be gentle and lowly in heart, unless you're already gentle and lowly in heart, then you won't change that much. But I, I know most of you. And gentle and lowly in heart is not the first thing that comes to mind. For some of you, it is. For some of you, it is. All right? Don't, don't send those uh, emails. Some, for some of you, it is. But for most of us, it's not. You know, if you just try it. Go to somebody and say, hey, you know, people that know you really well, give me five words that best describe me. Oh, hmm, hmm. And maybe gentle and lowly in heart will be some of them. I don't know. But if we do follow the Lord, we'll be in a constant state of change. And it says you will find rest. You go from being burdened, heavy laden, and then you'll find rest. All kinds of change. Being called to come and go means we should always be in a state of change as Christians. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, after Paul does a magnificent job of talking about the resurrection, he finishes off that chapter, chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, by saying this. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And some of you are being sarcastic. It says to be immovable. See, Mike, I'm not supposed to move. 
you know what it's talking. I hope y'all know you know what it's talking about. We're supposed to be constantly involved, abounding in the work of the Lord. If we are abounding in the work of the Lord, that means you're not stationary. You're not at the same place where you were before prior to being abounding in his work. But for that, we need to take steps of faith, beloved. We need to take steps of faith because everybody, our tendency is to look for the road of least resistance, the path that that is easiest, whatever is more comfortable, the one that requires the least sacrifice and effort. That's, That's also our spiritual tendency to not strive and to not sacrifice. And I got to tell you, beloved, we always have to be fighting against that as, a, as a individuals and even as a congregation. And really consider what it is that we're doing and how we're doing things when it comes to the Lord. So we need to take steps of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we just went through that a couple of series ago. Uh, Paul says, and repeat, it's repeated about three, four times in the Bible. It says, for as Christians, we walk by faith, not by sight. And I love that every time I read that, I am challenged as a Christian. How am I walking by faith rather than walking by sight? By sight means you got everything down, everything's controlled, you got it all figured out, you make very controlled decisions, and nobody's talking about being reckless and careless and irresponsible. We're not talking about that. But when it comes to following the Lord, there does need to be a certain sense of letting go of your idea of control and allowing Him to be Lord of your life. And I know that's hard, but that's why we're here, hopefully to be encouraged. So let me tell you a little quick story here about taking steps of faith and sometimes a little God story here. So I want to share with you that in 2006, God put something in my heart that wasn't there before. Um, I was teaching. I was teaching elementary, so growing up, from when I was already in high school, I already knew that I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And so ended up going to Cal State LA, child development major, got a teaching credentials, started teaching first grade, little first graders. And I was teaching second grade for about six years. And right around 2006, I remember clearly teaching my students. They would sit in the rug. We were doing a read out loud. I was reading them a book. That was a lot of fun. And, and I, I just had this sense. I remember feeling this sense and... Uh, Understanding that God was putting a desire in my heart, which was, as much as I love teaching, as much as I enjoy teaching, I want to teach the Bible. That's what, that's what that, that desire was. I want to teach the Bible. I, I like teaching, but I want to teach the Bible. I like getting paid, but I want to teach the Bible. And so soon after that, got in prayer, talked it over with my wife. And then we decided, I'll take a year off from teaching and just see what the Lord has. And so I did. Uh, and so, you know, per contract, I took a year off, a leave of absence. And so they guarantee your, your position back, but not necessarily where you left off. You just, you'll have a job when you come back, if you're approved, which I was. And then I would have a job if I came back uh, within two years. So, and when I did that, I actually went to Talbot Seminary for a year, or a little under a year. And which is that Biola, other seminary, and I also started a business, and I thought, you know, maybe the Lord will bless the business, and I won't have to go back to teaching, and, and I'll be able to do full-time ministry. That was, that was my desire, 
that I, I know God put in my heart. And so I did that. Uh, and uh, as 99% of all other businesses, it didn't quite fly the way I thought it would, you know. Uh, and so I ended up going back to teaching. But something funny happened. When I went back to teaching, they said, yeah, you have a job, except there's no space at the elementary. We need you at the intermediate school. I was like, that's, that's, that's not in my plan, intermediate school. I like the elementary school. I already know the families. I already know everybody, the staff. I get along great with everyone. I want to go back to my school, my previous school, which is Bell Gardens Elementary. And they were like, no, sorry. There's just like no space there, but there's space at the intermediate where my former principal or boss was. And so I was like, okay, sure, of course, I'll teach that. So I ended up teaching fifth grade. They gave me like the troublemaker. I was the rookie again, I guess, the rookie teacher at the intermediate. So they gave me the troublemakers. And it wasn't that much fun. Uh, and, but it was all right. Met some, met some cool kids. And, did that. and then after that first year, I, I figured, you know what, I'm just going to get it done. And, uh, and then at the end of the year, I, I submitted paperwork to go back to elementary school. And it was rejected because there was literally no, although they were sending the elementary school teachers to the intermediate. All right, let me move it along here. So I ended up, uh, I, I, I distinctly recall, and I wanted to share the story when we talked about Paul not being allowed to preach in Asia uh, and how our plans change. And, I re, and, and so I found myself in a place in my life where I thought, I want to be somewhere, which was the elementary school, but it's, it's out of my control. And then I prayed a real smart prayer which you're going to say like, duh, or yeah, that sounds pretty easy. I just, I just remember praying and telling the Lord, Lord, I want to go back to the elementary where I'm comfortable and feel safe and just more fun. But that's not happening. So you must have, must have me here for a reason. What is it? And I can tell you that literally when I made that prayer, uh, partly because I changed my attitude, I went and talked to the principal and said, you know what, I, enjoy, uh, I would like to do something after school. So long story short, he, he gives me this program after school where I volunteered to work with troubled kids from the school that um, uh, working alongside with the police department for a year. So I did that. And, um, and I'll, I'll leave the story there because I'm going to pick it up on the next point. <laughs> We're running out of time. But um, there, there I was at a place where I didn't want to be necessarily, I wanted to be somewhere else, but I decided... You know, I'm sure God has a purpose for me being here. I don't know what it is, but uh, he's got to have something for me. So that was a prayer. Started changing my attitude. Um, taking steps of faith. So long story short, uh, what is that now? 12 years later, uh, you, most of you know. Some of you don't because I was just asked this question yesterday. So uh, when, when the elders offered me the senior pastor position, I've been teaching for 20 years. I decided to resign from teaching, so I've, I've walked away from teaching. I'm no longer employed by Montebello Unified School District. I'm now uh, doing full-time ministry here at Crosspoint and, and loving it. But I think it's, and, and it's not to, you know, tap myself in the back or anything, but it's definitely a step of faith. I think it's been a step of faith since 12 years ago when I took that first year off seeking the Lord's will for my life. And it looks different, and, and He has me here now. It took 12, 13 years longer than what I thought it would, but here I am, uh, doing what God put in my heart some 12, 13 years ago, and He managed to work things out so that, to me, it's the obvious thing, and for me, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. 
So I want to encourage you to look at your life and see how it is that you're taking steps of faith. And hopefully you could use some of us and use each other as, as examples. The ultimate example is our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, and there's plenty of examples, great examples in the Bible and throughout church history. Uh, but look around. I think there's some great people here that, that are taking steps of faith in their lives. And let's use that as an encouragement for, for our own so let me tell you really quick the second point. Being called to come and go means that there's an order to follow. Come and then go. You can't go before you come. And that's really important, both as it pertains to, to being born again and really surrendering your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because when you don't, that's when Christianity doesn't work. And there's so many people that feel like Christianity is not working for them. But I believe they bought into a false Christianity and they've not understood that unless you die to yourself and you surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and you accept that gift of forgiveness based on what he did in the cross of Calvary, if that doesn't happen, you're not born again, then you can learn the Christian lingo, you can go to church, you can read the Bible, but things are not going to be right. They're just not. It's going to be a fight. And I'm not talking about the fight between the spirit and the flesh. I'm talking about your flesh against your flesh and the world and the enemy. Because if we're not born of God, we're trying to live a life that doesn't belong to us. And so we need to be very careful with that. And so there's, a, there's an order to follow. We must come to Jesus Christ if we're going to go. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches he who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If there's a lot of nothing going on in your life as a Christian, then the obvious question based on this verse and that passage in John 15 is whether Jesus is with you. Because without him, you can do nothing. But with him, there's nothing that is impossible. John 4, 14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. When we're born again and the Holy Spirit resides in us, then as a new creature, the Holy Spirit lives, abides, and manifests itself through our lives. But we have to come to him and we must abide in him. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will fall into place. It will be added. And then Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not according to the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Then he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and everything he does shall prosper. But first you need to come to him, then you can go. And a real quick word for those of us who are, because I see out here, most of you guys are leading in some way, you're doing some kind of ministry, and I have to tell you, we have to be so careful that as we minister and as we serve, that comes out of a place of you being filled with the Spirit, with his word, and then serving becomes a natural expression of your intimate, thriving relationship with God. Then you won't be 
complaining about your your brothers and sisters who are not pulling their own weight and you know they're not doing as much as you're doing and there you won't be bitter about what you've been doing for so long and you won't be sad about how much work you're doing it, it, there's really a shift and a change when we are abiding in christ and we're seeking him first when we come to him and then we go oh boy time is not a friend all right so i'll tell you really quick that i started teaching at the intermediate my attitude changed god changes my attitude and then I start coaching, long story short, I start coaching a basketball team. Some of you guys know this story, but a lot of you don't. I start coaching a basketball team, and students start coming around. I start inviting some, and one of those people was Romero. He's probably the one person that I recruited, all right? I don't know if that was illegal or not, but I recruited Romero to my basketball team. He was the tallest kid in our school, or in, in my class for sure. Ended up going, loved basketball, and then became a you know all-star at the, at the high school along with Kenneth and, and Steven. I don't know if you guys knew that. They're like legendary in Bell Gardens High School. Anyway, so my basketball team ends up going to a church to see a play. And Romero and Stephen's brother, Michael, and Alexa's brother, Michael, were part of that original team. And so was Brian, who stood up last week. He was my point guard. These, these kids took me up on an invitation to go to a church and see a, a Christian play. And that just got the ball rolling where now we have... A lot of people, part of our congregation, as I look, look out here, that are part of our congregation through that. Just teaching at the intermediate where I didn't want to be, coaching basketball, uh, invited them to Calvary Chapel La Mirada for a play, and then they started coming to our youth group. So, beloved, the last point is that uh, being called to come and go means that we must take action. And I got one minute for this point, and I don't want to be cut off, so I'm going to tell you in one minute. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. And James talks a lot about this. What I want to share with you is that, Lord willing, in two weeks, we're going to start an outreach ministry. Crosspoint is going to start an outreach ministry specifically to the city of Bell Gardens. And as of right now, along with myself, I have Jesse, Kenneth, Stephen, and Romero, who are all Bell Garden residents. And, uh, and I'm sure there's more people that are going to be added to that team. But... You're thinking, what can I do? Well, you're already doing. You're supporting Crosspoint, and, and, and Crosspoint is going to support this ministry. But also, we're going to start a prayer campaign starting today. It's going to be a 15-day prayer campaign. So what we're hoping is that everyone will engage, everyone from Crosspoint will engage in daily prayer for 15 days, and the 15th day will be the day that we start uh, ministering in Bell Gardens. We'll give you more details, but just know that. That's why it's so important for you to be plugged in and getting those emails. We'll be having weekly gatherings at Bell Gardens, and it'll be led basically by Bell Gardens uh, youth uh, or people that, that were reached through Crosspoint. So you see that full circle. So keep in mind, we're already involved in the Bell Gardens High School uh, Christian Club, which has been a blessing. And so I just want you to know what's going on. Jesus calls us to come and then to go. We come, we rejoice, we find salvation, we're equipped, we're encouraged, and then we can't stay still, and we can't. We gotta keep moving, and we gotta go. And there's a lot of you going. This is as a church. We're doing an outreach ministry, and I hope you you get involved through prayer and whatever other way you feel God would move you to be involved. But just know that God is on the move. He's on the move here through us, and we're excited about that. So excited that we are able to share what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
we take it for granted that everybody knows, but not everybody knows, not everybody understands. And so we're going to take the gospel to them. As we take communion this morning and we realize what it is that we're going to do in Bell Gardens, well, we're going to go and tell them about what this represents, how Jesus, being God, became a man. And then he gave his life as a payment for our sins. And this bread represents his body. If you want to take the bread, it represents his body, his perfect body that was given up as a perfect and all-sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. And the Jews represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to share that with people. That through the Lord's shedding of blood, we can find remission and forgiveness of sins. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we take communion together, gathered here in this place, we are grateful for the sacrifice that you made in sending your Son to die in our place. And Jesus, our Lord, we thank you for making that sacrifice and being willing to take our place at the cross. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would remind us of this and that you would convict us of our need to abide in our Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and to live on His strength and to be mindful of your presence, your power, and your worthiness. I thank you for everyone who is online and here present. Father, as we hear that you call us unto yourself and then you call us to go into the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples, we pray that we would be obedient to that and that we'll realize that if our life does not show that, then we need to be willing to follow you, to submit to you, and to make the changes necessary. For that, we pray for courage and strength and faith. I thank you and I ask you this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, beloved.